there's another thing that uh, I do in my books, which is I make fun of the stereotypes um, about the elderly. And Nancy and her friends in the 90s club exploit some of these stereotypes. That idea came from um, listening to a private investigator. Now, this woman was very grandmotherly, and she would go into neighborhoods where she suspected her quarry was hiding with a dog leash, and she'd knock on doors, you know, little old lady knocking on the door, and she says, I lost my dog. And I'd say, no, I haven't seen it. And then she'd say, you know, I'm so tired. Could you mind giving me a glass of water so they'd invite her in and they'd sit around the kitchen table and she could get all the dirt on the neighborhood because she was a nice little old lady hi this is stephanie fowler and this is tony russo and you're listening to another episode of so what's your story a podcast in which we talk to authors and writers about their writing the story behind the story the writing process, and any other sort of miscellaneous writing stuff that we want to talk about. Today on the podcast, we have mystery author Eileen Havoc McIntyre. She's also the president of the Maryland Writers Association, as well as a member of Sisters in Crime. Her novels feature the 90s club at Whisperwood Retirement Village, which was inspired by her love of Nancy Drew books. So welcome to the podcast, Eileen. Thank you. Pleased to be here. Well, I'm, I love to have you here for, for many, many reasons. But um, one of the first things that caught me right off guard was when I was a young girl, I loved Nancy Drew books. I yes. read every single one I could get my hands on. <clears throat> Even now in my home library, I have a whole shelf that's devoted just to Nancy Drew books. And so... Your take on Nancy Drew books with the work you're doing now is kind of an interesting twist. Would you kind of like tell us about that? Yes, I was wondering, well, first of all, uh, I was at a pool party years ago and I looked and um, there was a woman swimming laps in the pool. She was slim, she was attractive, and she was 91 and um, she was swimming laps. And so that stuck in my mind. And then I was thinking, well, you know, the Nancy Drew book started in about the 30s, which would make Nancy Drew about 90 in her 90s now. And what would she be like? Well, she would be like that 91-year-old woman swimming laps in the pool. (laughs) Sure. Able, alert, and active. Sure. And that's what my 90-year-olds are, able, alert, and active, like many 90-year-olds are today. Absolutely. And so even some of your titles kind of play on the... You know, there was yeah, like... I had fun with that. I, it, the Nancy, I borrowed from the Nancy Drew title. So uh, actually, the first one was the 90s Club and the Hidden Staircase. The second one was the 90s Club and the Whispering Statue. And the third one uh, is the 90s Club and the Secret of the Old Clock. All of them, I'm sure, familiar to you as Nancy Drew titles. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And those are, I mean, they're familiar to me as Nancy Drew yeah, titles. Yeah, sure. And I also, I had fun in the book. I bury references to Nancy, the Nancy Drew stories. For instance, I have uh, twisted candles on the tablecloth in the Whisperwood dining room. Well, tw- uh, the, what is it? The Mystery of the Twisted Candles was one of the Nancy Drew books. Uh, I have one of the characters finding a brass-bound trunk under her bed. And, <laughs> the bra- you know, the what was it? The Secret of the Brass-Bound Trunk was one of the mysteries. And so, uh, and I borrow names from the books and, and so on. That's phenomenal. Now, what part of... What part of that is intentional and what part of it is accidental? Like, I guess that the names are easy, but the brass-bound trunk, for example, do you get to the point 
did you know you were going to include that before you started writing or did you get to the point where you're like, oh, well, you know, it would be cool. I need a trunk under here. And, and then it's like, oh, there's a title that goes with that. Yes. I, I, well, I started writing the book and um, unfortunately I can't do an outline with everything all figured out ahead of time. So I'm going along and I'm thinking, uh, I want to put something in here about uh, from the Nancy Drew books. And, you know, I said, oh, I know what. I'll have a brass-bound trunk. And then I was thinking in the dining room, twisted candle centerpieces just seem to fit. Mm-hmm. And, and so and I also have a lot of fun uh, using myths about the elderly <laughs> in, my, uh, in my books. One of the interesting things I found was in my critique groups uh, through the Maryland Writers Association, it has critique groups, um, the, the members of my group uh, kept insisting that my 90-year-old should be feeble and frail and dribbling pablum and stuff like that. And, uh, uh, and I'm saying, well, wait a minute. There was this 91-year-old woman <laughs> who was right. swimming laps. Um, and, and, uh, and so I, uh, I started taking that further, you know. So I started looking into all the 90-year-olds who are really out there and 100-year-olds like uh, this one guy who 100 years old who swims, uh, who um, ran the Toronto Marathon. And he came in um, earlier, he came in ahead of eight other people, mm. you know, and so. Uh, yeah, but to be fair, they were 104. Yeah, I know. <laughs> age, no. I guess age came in there. <laughs> if, if I can just, I, I just want to kind of continue along this this brass trunk line because yeah. uh, when you were saying you were, you, we, we've had, we've had mystery writers on before and there we've, we've spoken about whether, how much you know about the novel before you start it and how much you discover it kind of like as you're going along. And so it gives you give me the impression that you might know who done it, but maybe not how they did it. Like how much, how much of the novel do you have? How much of the end of the novel do you have when you sit down? And do you get in trouble where you have to back out things because they don't fit with the, like, um, with the plot? Yes. Uh, well, when I started the first uh, uh, '90s club novel, the Nancy Drew ones. Um, I I had well in walking the halls of this uh, retirement village where uh, I have friends. Um, they're, they're always cautioning people not to race their uh, motorized scooters through the halls because they will kill somebody. And I thought, oh, how great to have uh, a have a chase through the halls with that these. That is one. Motorized. I don't know how that is not a movie. <laughs> I know. Wouldn't that be wonderful? <laughs> and and so that was my vision for the ending of it. Uh, however, uh, I the more I looked at them, the more I thought, oh, you know, they really won't go fast enough to uh, be that exciting. So, so I made it golf carts outside instead. Still wonderful, equally wonderful. Yeah. Yes, not yeah. equally wonderful, but also wonderful. Yeah, but you can visualize, you know, this wild chase through the halls of uh, of uh, Whisperwood Retirement Village in the motorized wheelchairs. <laughs> well, I think it's, I think what's really interesting is that you're taking, you're kind of turning something on its head. You know, there's this, you know, when people hear like retirement village, it, it all seems very sedate and very, you know, kind of, that's sort of the initial thought that comes to mind, but you've taken that and just said, no, I'm going to turn that on its head because you're right. There are people who are 
you know, in their, you know, 70s, 80s, 90s, even older, who run marathons and who swim and who do, there was... A, win there was tennis matches. Incredible. Uh, yeah, win canoe tri- um, trips, uh, canoe races. And in fact, uh, I came across an article about this man who learned how to read at 92. Get out. And he published his first book at 96. That's incredible. Yeah. So... So the point is, there's no end to what you can do. Unfortunately, the older you get, the more the media and the stereotypes penetrate and and kind of um, limit you or try to limit you. And it's easy to start thinking, oh, well, I guess I better not do that because I'm getting too old. And I'm saying the hell with that idea. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's the time to do it, for goodness mm-hmm. sake. And uh, and speaking of uh, Whisperwood, that was another thing. They uh, the people in my critique group kept calling it um, an old folks home or a nursing home. And these places, I don't know if you've been to any of these uh, retirement villages, uh, are like cruise ships. So it's really a wonderful place to live. But it's also think about it. It's full of quirky characters, and it's also full of long halls. You know, can you imagine some of these long halls at night with the lights dimmed? It's better than a gothic mansion, I think, for a mystery. You're listening to So What's Your Story? And today we are talking with mystery author Eileen Havoc McIntyre. There are so many different personalities and none of them are, not none of them, but they're not necessarily there to see one another. You know, it's... it's, That's right. It's in that kind of like locked room, locked in the locked locked mansion idea where they're all there and maybe they all have something in common, but you may not know what's in common because they're not all supposed to be there together. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of reminds me a little bit about college, you know, you're, you know, you've got all these different personalities kind of like just jammed into this one space and then you have to kind of figure out how to live with each other and personalities and, and all that sort of thing. So it's almost like I always kind of equate them kind of in my head as like it's just like an older version of college, you know? Yeah, I think that's true. It really is very much like an older version of college. The uh, one difference is that many of these people are uh, have years of experience in a certain field. So you also have a reservoir of expertise in these places. And so Nancy uses that when she, when she, uh, is, uh, trying to solve a mystery. Yeah. Like the demolitions expert down the block. And yeah, I was a demolitions expert in world war one, you know? Yeah, that is phenomenal. (laughs) Like I've never thought of it that way, but you're absolutely right. You know? And I, I was thinking when you were talking about how, you know, when people are come grandparents or kind of reach a certain point, there's this thing about storytelling you know, that, I mean, I remember my grandmother, you know, telling me stories. And so it's almost like that life experience and then, you know, being able to to kind of capture all of these different people together who have incredible life experiences and to be able to tell a story with so much, I mean, you say a reservoir of expertise. I'm also thinking yeah. of like the depth of material with everyone sort of, you know, with all these different stories kind of coming together. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, there's another thing that uh, I do in my books, um, which is I make fun of the stereotypes uh, about the elderly. And and Nancy and her friends in the 90s club exploit some of these stereotypes. And and that idea came from um, listening to a private investigator talking about how 
Now, this woman was very grandmotherly, and she was a private investigator. And she would go into neighborhoods where she suspected her quarry was hiding with a dog leash, and she'd knock on doors, and, um, you know, a little old lady knocking on the door, and she says, I, I lost my dog. I can't find my dog. Have you seen this little brown dog running around? And they'd say, no, I haven't seen it. And then she'd say, well, I'm, you know, I'm so tired. Could you mind giving me a glass of water? So they'd invite her in, and they'd sit around the kitchen table, and she could get all the dirt on the neighborhood because she was a nice little old lady. Right. So I have my characters exploit some of those that way, you know. Right, Some like those the, ideas. Yeah, you kind of put people that they're not, you know, it's it's very unassuming sort of yeah, character well, walking in. Right. What would you? I think an, an adjective that you would use with an elderly little old lady is harmless. Right. Sure. Harmless. Yeah. So. That's what they said at the end of Psycho. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, so there are five books. There are those. Are those all? Different books? Or uh, three of them are the, uh, yeah, I, I brought in my, my books. Three of them are the 90s Club. Mm-hmm. Two of them are historical adventures. I call them, they're kind of mysteries, adventures, mm-hmm. historical. Um, uh, one of them is called The Shadow of the Rock, and it was my uh, first novel. got me started writing novels because uh, I'm a Florida file. I was born in Miami. And um, surprisingly, my grandparents came over from Sweden and took a left turn in New York (laughs) and went to Miami. They didn't go to Wisconsin or Minnesota. No, no, no. Uh, Because they were very intelligent people. They went to Miami. No offense to the Wisconsin and Minnesota people. Um, (laughs) Our listenership isn't big there, so you're fine. (laughs) Yes, I'm okay. (laughs) And uh, one of the stories is about this young woman captured by Barbary pirates sold to the vizier of the king of Morocco. Um, she, married, uh, she married the vizier and had two children, escaped in a palace coup, and her grandson became the first senator from the state of Florida. Well, this is an intriguing story, and I wanted to know more. You know, I wanted to know what happened to her after she finally escaped and what palace coup and what was this all about. Right. So uh, my husband and I traveled all over uh, Florida, St. Thomas, uh, Gibraltar, Morocco, tracking down bits and pieces of the story. Uh, and uh, so the, so I wrote the book, Shadow of the Rock, with uh, parallel stories because one of them had to be about the woman captured by pirates, mm-hmm. but the other one had to be about the trip someone takes, you know, trying to dig out some reason, some problem that followed the trip that my husband and I took. Mm-hmm. So it's parallel stories, but it's an adventure. And now how did you come to write this? How did you start uh, writing novels? Did you start with short stories? Or No, I uh, worked on this. Uh, I uh, started with this. Although, I must say, I've always been a writer, mainly nonfiction, working for various agencies. Mm. I'm an English major who made good, more right. or less. <laughs> and so I had made stabs at writing novels, but it wasn't... Until I uh, I got in hold of this story and started wanting to write it, and then joining the Maryland Writers Association and going to their critique groups and getting a, a lot of help, you know, that way, that I was able to pull it off. 
because we that happens a lot. You're like, I'm, I, <clears throat> this is a great story, and then going from making it a great story to actually putting <laughs> the great story on yeah. paper, that's a longer trip than a lot of people think. Oh, it is a long trip. Yeah. It took me years to get this first one off the ground. And I had to make use of our adventures traveling around. You know, for instance, when we were in St. Thomas, uh, we happened to be there for a day on a cruise ship. And, uh, and I wrote the uh, cemetery chairperson of St. Thomas because I knew that this woman who'd captured by pirates when she escaped, her son went to the Caribbean and became a wealthy man, and he went to St. Thomas. Well, a lot of the family was buried in St. Thomas, and I wanted to see the graves. So I wrote the cemetery chairperson, and she, uh, she met me at the ship and drove us out to oh, these, cool. these uh, cemeteries and also gave me the census records with the names of the family and also the, gra- uh, the cemetery records. So what a great thing. You yeah. know, this was serendipitous. And it's surprising how helpful people are. Like, Oh, yeah. It, it, uh, when, I, when I did my, my first book, um, the people at the library in Easton, they were just super, super helpful. People want to share their information. They want to share their stories. And if they can make your life easier and you're going to put something permanently that they think is cool, they're really helpful, I found. Yeah. I got a lot of help from people who, uh, you know, were were willing to share whatever they had. And uh, so that was very good. Very good. Yeah. And, uh, And speaking of folks who are very helpful and willing to share, you are the president of the Maryland Writers Association, which I suppose de facto makes you my boss um. <laughs> as, as chapter you have a wonderful chapter here in the lower eastern shore berlin maryland yeah, yeah absolutely so we are the so i'm the president of the lower eastern shore chapter of the maryland writers association and you're the president of the whole shebang so yes. i take my orders from you eileen more so. or less <laughs> no i think pretty much um you know the chapter presidents do a pretty good job of, and the officers of pulling together programs and whatever you do bringing the wine as in your case uh, <laughs> we, we do like our wine here at the lower yeah. chapter. <laughs> very yeah. very helpful so what kind of inspired you to take on the task of being president or what kind of inspired you to go from just saying hey i'm a member of this organization to saying hey i think i've got something to offer and i want to boss everybody around well so. i'll tell you <laughs> i uh, i let go of my senses or maybe I'd been drinking that night, <laughs> or, you know, I had had, I, I had been on the board before for a number of years, but I was off for two years, and then they, they asked me if I would be president, I would be, you know, if I would mind being nominated, and I guess there were things I wanted to see happen with the Maryland Writers Association, so uh, I said yes, and we have such a wonderful board, we really have a wonderful board, and uh, chapters are going great, and we have this great conference coming up March 23rd and 24th, and I'm really kind of thrilled that we have the Poet Laureate of Maryland doing a workshop at this conference, uh, along with other really good presenters. So what were some of the things you said there were things that you wanted to see for the Maryland Writers Association? What were some of those that you had in mind when you... Well, I wanted more frequent communication with the membership. I wanted to make sure that all, the, all of our benefits were carried out. You know, the pen in hand, our literary journal, the newsletter. I put out a monthly newsletter to the membership. I call it Quick, quick Notes with, with, because we're always getting announcements of book fairs and contests and other things. I want the membership, you know, have that information. So these were things I wanted to see happen. Well, I enjoy, I'm, I'm a member myself, yeah. and uh, I enjoy being 
being a member because you guys are doing so much. Of, like, I forgot that I like I, I'm a writer and like I'm a professional writer. And I feel like if you're a writer in a state, you should probably join the join the thing. Right. The state the state. <laughs> but I didn't really pay attention to it because there was never anything going on. And, and recently it's been really, you know, everybody's been really engaged. And that's that's exciting to me. It makes me feel like I'm part of something instead of just I have this credential in case anybody asks me about it. Yeah. I it really things are really happening. It just it, it takes a strong board, it takes a village to make the association work. <laughs> sure. And so it certainly we certainly have a lot of ideas on people with moving things forward. And also, I'm very grateful for the critique groups that I joined through the Maryland Writers Association, which really helped me bring my writing along. You're listening to So What's Your Story, and today we are talking with mystery author Eileen Havoc McIntyre. Can you talk a little about, guys, so I've never participated in a critique, critique group. group. So can you tell me, how do you choose which one to be in? How do you know if it's for you? And what do you ex- what do you expect when you go to one? And what do you expect to give? And what do you expect to get? And things like that. Well, I was so naive when I began that I just joined one that presented itself. Mm. So, uh, you know, so I joined it. And uh, imagine, you know, imagine a cheerful, optimistic person with their chapter that they've submitted to the group and they come and they know they've written a really good chapter and then then you find out no <laughs> there's all this stuff one time one of the members said these are nothing but talking heads in which because i only had dialogue and not what they were doing during the dialogue and and wow. uh, it's an eye opener it really is and, and it's very good um and i think i think you have to go into it saying to yourself you know i am a writer i am a good writer and i'm here to get help and i think it was really helpful to know that Everybody can be edited. Everybody, no matter who you are, Hemingway, uh, the best writer in the world, is going to get red marks on their manuscript. And so uh, just trying to uh, cut down the number of red marks that come from an editor, maybe get get through the uh, vetting process to actually get published by somebody, this is uh, it's really helpful. Yeah, I think one of the things that, I mean, I've been in a few critique groups, and so maybe you can kind of speak to this as well, is that we're doing it by ourselves, and right. we know what we mean because it's in our heads, and we translate that to the page. But if our reader doesn't get it, and Tony says this all the time, if the if I hand that piece of paper over and you don't get the point, then I haven't done my job. And I think critique groups are a really good place to find out, have I been effective at conveying my story? Have, have Is my narrative clear? It, are there problems that, because the story's in my head and I know how it goes, but have I totally fumbled and not, and, and have, have I, is there a gaping hole somewhere that I have to now fill? And I think oh, critique absolutely. groups are helpful. Yeah, absolutely. You would be amazed at some, how people might interpret uh, what you wrote. And you didn't mean that at all, you know. So, uh, so here's a good way to find out: Are you conveying what you want to convey? So you have uh, you went from adventure to mystery. Yes. So you did two adventure adventure novels, or one yes, of- uh, one is the sequel to the other one. Mm-hmm. And what what attracted you to jump over from um, adventure to mystery? Was it just the inspiration of that woman in the pool, or? Uh, I read mysteries all the time. Mm. It was a natural segue. And when I started thinking about um, the 90s club 
and um, Whisperwood Retirement Village and and uh, the woman in the pool. You know, it was a natural thing. And uh, I also belong to Sisters in Crime, which is a, just a wonderful group. Um, for instance, one of the things we did with that group was go to the uh, Baltimore County um, Medical Examiner's Office. Oh, wow. Fascinating. Fascinating. You know, um, they have a room there. It's called the Scarpetta Room because Patricia Cornwell donated the money for it. Oh, and that's it's fantastic. A, yeah, well, Scarpetta so, is the name of her, her, her character. Yeah. main character, yeah. Yeah, Case Scarpetta. And, uh, and in the room, the room is set up like a house. There's a living room, a dining room, a kitchen, a bathroom. And when we went in through this, it's tr- for training. When we went through this, there was a, a dummy on the couch with blood stains, you know, and a dummy hanging from uh, the rod in the, in the bathroom. Just, it's, you know, it's just for, uh, for training. But, but I find that I really resonate with this group of people and, and with mysteries. And uh, so... And so this group is of writers or of mystery reading enthusiasts? Well, both, or? writers and fans. Oh, that's fantastic. Writers and fans. And, yeah. and they're lo- they're located... This is a Chessie chapter. It's a national group. Oh, okay. Actually, it's, it began in uh, the mid-'80s okay. when a lot of women mystery authors found out they weren't getting the same contracts that the men authors were getting, and they also uh, weren't getting the dollars. They weren't getting the promotional uh, support that the men authors were getting. So Sisters in Crime was was formed to e- equal the playing field between uh, male and female authors. Excellent. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm sorry. And so what's next for uh, what, what's next on your agenda? Do you have something you're working on? Do you have something you're planning out? I have uh, I have a um, a different novel, a uh, suspense about a young woman who uh, who goes from one bad relationship to the next and decides that she and then she marries a an abuser who is into um, sex trafficking and and all kinds of other bad stuff that I learned about through attending the Citizens Police Academy in my county. You know they have police academies all over the they country. Do the Ocean City ones just graduated. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's just interesting uh, about police work. So mm. I found out about uh, uh, how forgeries and uh, fraudulent IDs, mm-hmm. like uh, like the guy who who taught that particular class in the police academy, had a whole sheet of fake social security cards, blank, ready to be filled in. You know, I mean, amazing. So, so I pr- brought that into this novel, mm-hmm. and uh, and she goes back home. She she goes back home to her dad because he's the one that started it all being an abuser and so she wants to find out how to confront him in right. order to uh find out how to improve the way she relates to in relationships anyway that one but I'm also working on the fourth on a fourth um 90s club oh very cool all right and is this also I'm going to assume another take on our Nancy Drew yes it's uh the 90s club and the and the mystery yet lilac in Fantastic. <laughs> I, was, I'm, I was hoping for the missing keys, but, you know. Oh, that'll come. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just put that order in for, for, uh, for that missing one. Missing keys, okay. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I'm never missing? What? You're never missing. You are never missing your limericks. Absolutely. Oh, is it limerick time? It is yep. limerick time. Okay. 
Well, if you like the show and you like what you're hearing, and if you like limericks and haikus, you can go to our website, which is www.sowhatsyourstorypodcast.com. There's a contact us button. If you click on that and you give us your name, a mailing address, if you pick a word, Tony will put that into one of his haikus. Tony will put that into one of his limericks. I will put it into a haiku. We will put it on a fancy schmancy postcard, slap a stamp on it, and pay a guy to bring it to your house. Just like it's 1856. Or 1932, and it's Nancy Drew. Why not? Like Nancy Drew and the mystery of the missing postcards. That's for Danny Russo. For Danny Russo, because because they forgot to get in the mail. All right, Stephanie. Well, now this is the part of the show where you thank the guests. Well, Eileen, thank you so much for coming down and talking with us. Thank you for for the opportunity. It was a lot of fun. Wonderful. So What's Your Story was recorded at Saltwater Media, an indie book publisher in Berlin, Maryland. Visit us at SoWhatsYourStoryPodcast.com where you can find past episodes, guest bios, show notes, and all sorts of fun stuff. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and Stitcher Radio, and if you like it, then feel free to give us a good review. Tell your story.